you would, this morning our scripture reading is found in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. And if you would like to take a pew Bible and follow along, you can do so on page 1,827, 1827. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You may be seated. I feel that I can say this with a greater degree of joy this morning, that God is good, and all the time. Thursday we went and we got to pick up our daughter at the airport, and uh, I was the videographer, and mom spotted her first and ran to her, and Cole and I were just like, where's she going? <laughs> so she was running to our girl, and we were so glad to have her home, glad to have John Wayne home as well. Not the actor, but her boyfriend, John Wayne Parrish. Glad that they're both home, and we'll, we'll definitely have something worth giving thanks for over Thanksgiving. I know not everyone, however, probably is looking as forward to the holidays as others because maybe it's not worth looking forward to. Maybe there's going to be a chair empty this year that wasn't last year. And sometimes when there's a loss and a certain presence that's missing, it can be difficult to really enjoy the holidays. And I just hope that God will bring you peace and comfort on that day and until you're able to find that peace and comfort, we'll keep saying for you how God is good. Paul in this passage in 2 Timothy 4, he, he's done something that a lot of people don't like to do. And that is, he's accepted the reality that his days on this earth are numbered. He doesn't have much time left. He doesn't know how long it is, but he knows it's very, very short. And, and I can only imagine how difficult that must be to accept that your days are numbered. Sadly, I mentioned Wednesday night last week, on Tuesday I had to go to Bowling Green because a, a Christian sister passed away that had been fighting 18 months with cancer. And of course, everything was going well. She rang the bell, finishing her treatments, and then she was home and back at work and just felt great until she wasn't. And then went back to the doctor and discovered that it had returned and was, was just horrific, returned with a vengeance, if you will. And rather than seeking further treatment, she just decided to accept the reality that her days are numbered. And we, I went last Tuesday to, to preach her funeral. She was only 63. That's young, isn't it? Anybody? Okay. The older I get, the younger I realize some ages are. When I was a kid and my mom was like 33, I'm like, you're ancient. And she said, well, your mama was 60-something. I'm like, well, she's old as dirt. You know, that's just... But as you age, you're like, no, that's not that old. People are living in their 80s and 90s. I want to look at this with you for one, one particular, from one particular viewpoint. The reality of death is a result of the consequence of sin. All the way back in Genesis 2, when God places Adam and Eve in the garden, He 
took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now the death didn't come immediately, but it was an inevitability. And when the serpent showed up, he said, or rather he asked Eve, has God really said not to eat from this tree? And she said, well, yeah. He said that if we eat from it, we will die. And then the serpent says, oh, you'll not surely die. And we don't like to believe that. We don't like to believe that life will go on unendingly, that there will always be the people that are there who have always been there. But the truth is, that's not the case. One of the places that we ministers frequent every week is there's usually hospital, the hospital that we go to, people that are unwell, that are uh, receiving care. Sometimes it's the hospice house. Quite often it's the funeral home too. Obviously what we do, we see that more often than we'd care to, but it's just the reality of life. Which is why I think heaven is so sweet because there are no hospitals or hospices or funeral homes. That's the place where I want to be, the place where these ugly and harsh realities no longer exist. But in the midst of the ugly reality of life that is we will face death, there's good news, the Gospel. And Paul points out some of this here in his inevitability. Look at this with me again. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I love the word here. Departure, oh, okay, yeah. That's, but he uses a nautical term in, in the Greek text of this. Uh, the departure, it, it, it envisions when you have a, 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 a ship at dock and it's about to leave, so you unravel all the ropes and then you set out and, and, and you set your sails and you go out on a journey. He uses this nautical term and someone gave me a beautiful description about death one time. They said, imagine you and your family are standing either on the, the, the beaches or, or, or a dock and your loved one's on a boat and they're setting sail out into the, either the ocean, the river, whatever the case is. Well, you're waving goodbye and they keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller to the point that you no longer see them. It doesn't mean that they no longer exist. It's just that they've sailed out of sight and they've gone to another place. And it's that other place where they've gone, God willing, that we one day will sail to as well. We will depart. We will untether the ship from the dock and we will set out on that journey. So I just thought that was beautiful imagery that Paul uses. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. He's using athletic terms, and what comes next is built on that. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Two words in Greek are translated as crown. One is diadema. We get the word diadem. You've heard uh, of the diadem. Uh, the diadema crown was the crown of royalty. You're born into a royal family. You inherit that diadem. But the Paul, the, the Paul, the word that Paul uses here isn't diadema. It's Stephanos is my name. Crown. 
Just remember that next time you address me. Okay. <laughs> but no, the Stephanos crown was this garland wreath that, that the Olympians, when they participated in the Olympic Games, those that won received this garland wreath. And you, you go, it's, it's a thing that's perishable because, you know, it's taken from a tree, from vines, whatever the case is. But that was more prized than anything we might have ever imagined in, in our own time. So when he says, I will get the Stephanos of life, the crown of life, he's saying, I fought the good fight, I finished the wraith. He, he has competed in the games. And so he receives this crown of righteousness, this crown that they would have understood this is what you get when you discipline and work hard when you, when you prevail. This is the crown that Paul's speaking of, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. We all have people in our lives we love when they show up, don't we? And we all have people in our lives we love when they depart, don't we? All right? Uh, some of you already, you're going, well, we've got all this group coming over for Thanksgiving. I'll be glad when this one is, you know, we're, 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 they're family, they're going to be, but I'll be glad when they're gone, right? Uh, Paul is looking forward to the appearing of the Lord. And I want to ask you, are you looking forward to the appearing of the Lord? Are you looking forward? I think that'll be a very special day for so many. But I think for others it will be a day of dread. And it'll be a day of dread because they haven't fought the good fight. They haven't finished the race. They haven't kept the faith. So let me ask you, uh, this is a serious question. Very simple. If Jesus were to return today, are you ready? How do you think that would go? Would you, would you look forward to His appearing? Or would you dread it? Would you dread it because you go, I, I, well, I'm not ready. Well, why not? None of us will ever live perfectly. Let's go ahead and disabuse ourselves of that. If we could live good enough, Jesus would have never had to die on the cross. But the reality is we can't, and so He needed to. So do we, in faith, turn to the Lord, obey the Gospel, uh, repent of our sins, be buried with Him in baptism, and then... It doesn't stop there. That's the problem. A lot of times I think people think that's where that's the beginning and the ending point. That's only the beginning point. That's where you and I start our walk with the Lord. And here's the thing, along the way we're going to stumble, along the way we may even fall. But get up and dust yourselves off. Keep going. You've got a God who loves you, who wants to forgive you, who sent His Son to die for you. My favorite line is one that I've heard John Dell use several times in talking to people. He said, God paid a mighty high price to save you. I don't think He's looking for a reason to lose you. That's one of those you go, I'm going to use that. Preachers are the biggest thieves ever. We hear something good and we go, i got to use that. And that's a, but it's a true line. Looking forward to His appearing. Next we have Paul's abandonment, verses 9-16. through 16. He says, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved the present world and 
has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchment. I want to notice something that even though Paul knows that his days are numbered, he, he still wants his books, his parchment. That's my kind of guy. He loves to read. Maybe it's a copy of the Scriptures or one particular book. Or maybe it's another letter he's composing to someone else that maybe we just don't have. But rather than going, well, this is the end, I'm just going to sit back and wait, he says, no, bring me the parchments, bring me the books. As long as there's time, I'm still going to do what I can. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged them. You know, when the going gets tough, you find out who your true friends really are. Not only when the going gets tough, but maybe even when you have failed miserably, you find out who truly loves you and who truly cares. Paul knows that there are people in his life that love him and that care, but in his first trial, he was all by himself because those that were with him, they weren't true friends. They forsook him. They left him. And so he stood there alone, abandoned by those he thought would always be there. There's nothing harder to swallow than the abandonment of someone that you thought really cared, really loved, really supported you, really had your back. You know, it's one thing to face the difficulty, but then when you have to face the abandonment on top of that, you go, man, I take the difficulty every day. The abandonment was just harsh and hurt so much. Years ago, my, one of my brother, brothers-in-law made poor choices that landed him in juvenile uh, prison in Nashville. And one of the things that he learned is that all those people he ran with that he thought were his friends, all those people, some of whom he even got in trouble with, not one of them wrote, not one of them called, not one of them visited. But you know who did? His family. And he realized then and there who he could rely on. Some people say that they're your friends, but friends are always there. But some people treat friendship as a convenience. What can you do for me? And as soon as you're done doing it for me, I've got no more use for you. That's not friendship. Friendship endures through everything. It's almost like a brotherhood or a, a, a sisterhood. And my brother-in-law learned right then who really cared, who really loved him. It doesn't mean any of us were happy with his choices. God knows that's not the case. But even despite his failings, we were still willing to be there and to try to encourage him to do better. But all those he thought were his friends were nowhere to be found because their use of him had run its course. Sometimes you learn the hard way, and it's a hard lesson to learn. Paul learned it as well, but even in the midst of it all, Paul had an understanding that the Lord was with him. Verse 17, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me, 
and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We've heard it said this way once before, if God be for us, who can stand against us? Some might also say you and God are all the numbers that you need. God is more than enough. Even when everybody else has left you, if you've got God, you're on good standing. It's all right. Just keep on doing what you're doing. And Paul realized that the Lord was with him. Maybe he even received a word from the Lord or he saw a vision of the Lord or he heard the voice of the Lord. Somehow he knew he wasn't abandoned by God. And that sometimes can make all the difference in the world. Everybody else can walk away, but if God is there, you go, that's enough. That's all that I need is for God to be present. So he closes this last letter that he would ever write, telling Timothy, greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. There's a dog name when you get a new puppy. Onesiphorus. Don't know what it means, but there it is. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you as well as Putins, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. And his last words, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit and grace be with you. Amen. I don't know if Timothy ever made it to Paul before he was executed. Uh, scripture doesn't disclose that. You might find something in history, but we don't know if he made it in time. But imagine being Timothy and your mentor, your father in the faith, if you will. This, these are the last words that he would ever write. Whether you see him before his execution or not, Imagine the emotions this must have evoked in young Timothy as he's trying to serve and do the best that he possibly can. And the final words of Paul are essentially, God has been with me when everyone else left. I can't live much longer, but I'm ready to go. There have been a few people over the years that have a terminal uh, diagnosis that when you go and visit them, they have said, I'm ready. And, you know, as a Christian, as a preacher, you go, man, that, you know, I know you're ready, but not everyone here is. But you love to hear it because you, you, you know, this is a person that they've done the best they could. They're right with God. They're ready. And there are some saints who, because of sickness or illness, they say, pray for me to go. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? My grandmother, when she was, she had multiple sclerosis for years, and this was before uh, they had the treatments they have now. She died in what, 02, 01, 2001, 2002? Brianna was, is 02, because Brianna was a little baby at the time. Graham just declined over the years. She, she could still, when I was a child, she could still get around but she was losing her sight. And she told me, she said, I can see shapes and like movements I can see, but I, you know, as far as making it out, she couldn't tell what it was sometimes. So she would get up real early of the morning. This is the woman that she was. She would get up real early. And when I say early, I'm like, the chickens haven't even gotten up yet. And she would get up and she would go ahead and make dinner for the day so that granddaddy and her would have dinner because usually by four in the afternoon, she was done for and so she would get up, and Granddaddy would get up, and, and she would cook, and she would say, what is this? What is that? Put a little in this, a little in that. 
until she was unable to do that. And then eventually she was bedridden and a nurse would come a few times a week to help attend to her needs. The last time I ever visited her, because the last four years of her life, granddaddy wouldn't let anyone come up. He, I don't, well, he would let my dad and uncles come up, but not grandchildren. I don't think he wanted us to see her how she was. But the last time I visited her, she was weak. And uh, I, I always sat on the edge of her bed, right by where she was. She had this little clock over on her dresser. She named him Fred. And it was one you could press the button and Fred would say, it is 5.45 p.m. or whatever. She named him Fred because they got him at Fred's. So, and then she had this little fat chihuahua, named that thing E.T. Its legs were as big as my finger, but it looked like a burrito. Funniest looking dog you've ever seen. So E.T. was always up there with Graham. And, you know, if you came close, you'd have to announce, Graham, I'm, it's Stephen, I'm here. And because she'd have to say, E.T., now get down, because E.T. wouldn't let you near. I'm like, what are you going to do, chase me? Come on, you know. So I sat down, and, and she was laying down, and, you know, put my hand on hers, and, and I said, Graham, how are you? Very weakly, she said, I am thankful to God. We got to a point, you know, you get to a point when someone has been through something so long, your prayer becomes, Lord, take her. There are some things that are worse than death for the Christian. Wasting away and suffering, I would dare say, is one of them. It's not that we want them to go. We want them to be healed, to be with us. But sometimes that healing doesn't come in this life. It comes in eternity with the Lord. I'm going to tell you a story. It's sad, but there is a little glimmer of hope. And I tell you this not to be down or negative, but I tell you this with one thing in mind. Could you say the same? So keep that question in your mind as I tell this story. It's a true story. Could you say the same? Noel Harlan was a paramedic, probably still is, in central Kentucky. And he was working on a Sunday. On that particular day, it was nice. And so he was stocking the truck and just doing his job as, as usual when a call came in that there was a gunshot victim, an accident, no foul play. So he and his partner get in their rig and they're running full code to the, to the scene. And as they're going, Noel recognizes the address. It's the address of his son's best friend. And he knew that his son was going to be there that day as well. So he begins, obviously he gets very anxious. So when they get on the scene, Noel walks in and he sees that it's his son Cole who has suffered the gunshot wound. So he and his partner are tending to Cole real swiftly and trying to get him somewhat stabilized. They get him and they get him in the ambulance and Noel is in the back working on his son as his partner is driving him. They've got to get from Monroe County, Kentucky to Vanderbilt. There are no facilities in the area that can treat his injuries. As they're driving, Cole is going in and out of consciousness, very weak, lost a lot of blood. And Noel was telling me this story as he and I stood not three feet from his son's casket. He said, Stephen, Cole asked me, Daddy, am I going to die? 
he said, I've seen enough to know. I've seen enough to know, but I couldn't tell my son he was going to die. So I said, buddy, I hope not. He said, Cole replied to me. He said, it's okay if I do, because I know I'll go to heaven. As Noel was telling me this, as we stand at the funeral home, he said, there is nothing good about this. The one thing that gives me peace is that he said he was ready to go to heaven. Could you say the same? Paul had that hope. Many of us have that hope. So if today was that day for you, are you, are you ready? And I'd ask you even beyond that, if you were a Christian, how's your faith? How's your faith? Does it need to be stronger? Then let's make it stronger. There are several passages in the Scriptures where the disciples of the Lord said, Lord, increase our faith. Where a father who had brought his son to Jesus to be healed, Jesus said, I can if you believe. And he says, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. So there are occasions where even the saints needed more faith. But there are occasions as well where those who've never obeyed the Gospel need to obey the Gospel. If today was that day, are you ready? If you have any doubts whatsoever, let's, let's address the doubts. Let's do away with the doubts as much as we can. Please come to the front as we stand and as we sing.